Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. I have three kids, as I said, Judah, Isaac, and Eliana, and they are so beautiful. I love them. Uh, having kids is so great. They, you know, the thing about kids is they teach you so much. My kids have taught me so much. You know, they teach you what's important. They teach you about the things that are not important, like, like personal space that's not important. You don't know this. You're going to discover, many of you are going to discover this. When a toddler is standing over you at two o'clock in the morning, I know they're your children. They're creepy, all right? And it freaks you out because you just see some face looking at you, you know? So personal space, you can just get rid of that, throw that out the window. Who likes a clean house? Don't have kids because that is exactly what happens after you have kids. I feel like my job as a dad is often to, I just walk from room to room and I pick up and I clean up. And guess what? When I get to the next room, they just were in that room. So I go back to the beginning and we just clean up all over again. That's what it feels like a lot to be a dad. Being a dad is great because I find that oftentimes, you know, uh, there's no gender roles. I get that. Cool, whatever. But the truth is, is a lot of the times mom is staying home and she is looking after the kids all day. So she's done the discipline. She's cooked the food. She's like had the fights or the arguments and dad gets home and it's just playtime. And that's awesome, you know. And and, and so I enjoy playtime. I I enjoy uh, doing wrestling with my kids. And I tell you, they gave me some gifts this morning and, and, you know, little trinkety things that they uh, bought with their money, which I think is so awesome. And, uh, and the thing is, I find that my kids, their greatest gift to me is really themselves because I absolutely love them. And I would never, for all the, the, the pressures or stresses or, or whatever could come with being a parent, it's absolutely worth it. It's absolutely worth it. So anyway, uh, I want to preach a message to you uh, tonight And I'm going to read to you the scripture. It comes out of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. And uh, this is Moses. And I want you to imagine him giving a big talk to a a whole group of people. He's speaking to Israel. And he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." I'm going to preach a message to you guys tonight called The Best Gift. The Best Gift. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we all have a heavenly Father, the most amazing heavenly Father in you. And Father, tonight I know that there's all kinds of experiences in this room and that's okay. God, I I, I love that you love each one of us. Lord, your word says continually that you've adopted us into your family and so you have. And so, God, I pray that tonight, whatever our experiences be, and as we hear about the role that fathers play in the level of influence that they have, 
I pray, God, that we wouldn't necessarily reflect on our own uh, upbringing and either be happy or sad or disgruntled or frustrated, nothing like that. that God, we just put our trust for our future in you. I pray that tonight we'd be totally reliant on you. And I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So I told you I have three kids. My oldest is called Judah. And when he was born, it was, it was awesome. I remember it so well. I was, a, I was a good dad, you know. The night before, Sarah comes to me and she said to me, I want you to know I'm having contractions and, and we're probably going to have this baby. And so my loving response was, awesome. Do you need anything from me? And she said, no. I said, great. I'm going back to bed. You can wake me when it's go time. And because I can't do anything. This is like literally, it's just moral support. And I thought, forget that. I want sleep. So, so, so anyway, uh, she stayed up late and I don't know, she's playing games and anyway. So, so I, I, anyway, the next morning we wake up because Jesus loves me. We didn't have to go until 7 a.m., which was awesome. So I got a full night's sleep. And then we go in the next morning and you know, we have this uh, awesome little baby and I remember holding in my arms and in the first few days, Sarah had to leave and she had to go uh, and, and see the doctors. And while she goes to see the, the, the doctors to have a meeting about something, they just leave me alone in the room with my brand new son. So he starts to make some crying noises and I scoop him up and, I, and I'm walking around the room and I'll tell you the truth and I remember this so well. I am holding him and I am thinking just a couple of things among them is, this child is absolutely perfect. And I was so grateful to God for him. And I held him and I said, this child is perfect. I just looked at him. I loved everything about him. That's the way that fathers feel about their kids. You know, it's like they have not done one thing for you. It doesn't matter. You just love them completely. And I loved him completely. And as I looked at him, I was aware of one thing that was really important is that, and it seems obvious, you know, I'm this kid's dad. I've got to set this kid up to win. What am I going to do to raise this young person to grow up, to be a, 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 a man of God? Or how am I going to set him up to win? What's the best thing that I can do? What's the best gift that I can give to my son? And do you know if I asked him this question, if I said to him, what's the best thing that I could do for you, Judah? He would come back to me and say, Dad, it's an Xbox 360 game. Lego Marvel Avengers just came out. I really want that game. I say, all right. He would be on about some Lego. It would always be about Lego because that's what he loves. So he would tell me that these are the best things that I could do for him. But do you know what I've discovered about kids is that they have no idea what's good for them. Like no idea. But that's not their job. It's their parents' job to know what's good for children. That's the role of a parent. That's what a parent is supposed to do. They're supposed to know what is good for their children and take the time to figure it out. If I literally did what my kids said, if I did everything that they asked me to do, my house would be insane. Breakfast for my daughter, Eliana, would be cake every morning because she asks for it. Do you know what's really cra crazy? She doesn't even like cake. So when you give it to her, she doesn't eat it. She loves biscuits. And if we're foolish enough to leave biscuits out overnight, do you know what she'll see in the morning? Biscuits. What does she want for breakfast? Not Weet-Bix, biscuits, right? So she will ask for those biscuits and we have to say no. And then it's a horrible thing. And it's like, you know, this happens with all kids, by the way. This is, this is not unusual. I remember one time, one of my kids, Isaac, he's our middle child, our, our most spirited child. He, he, uh, 
Uh, I remember one time we were up in Queensland and we were on a holiday and uh, we had him there with us and we were on our way to the beach and he absolutely flipped out. And I remember the scene so well. In fact, he was having such a huge meltdown. I thought, this is so awesome. I'm going to take a photo of this, right? So I did. I took a photo to capture the moment to show him when he's older. Look how messed up you were over this, right? So what I did is, is I went back a couple of years and I found the photo and we have a picture of it right here. This is my son, Isaac. Isn't he awesome and cute? And uh, I just love this kid to bits. On this particular day, it's kind of hard to tell, but actually there was so much snot and tears and all the rest of it that comes with a tantrum, right? And you can see he's really upset. Now I want to tell you why he was really upset. He was upset because me being his dad, Mr. Killjoy, wouldn't let him do something, right? Do you want to know what it is that I wouldn't let him do? I wouldn't let him eat out of the bin. And it wasn't even at our house. It's like a public bin. And he was, he, he, he walked by and found some food in the bin and he wanted to eat it. And I told him, Mr. Killjoy, no fun. What's wrong with you? You got problems. Dad wouldn't let him eat food that someone else had thrown away out of a bin. And this is the result. Can you imagine if parents just did what their kids said? You know, it's the job of a parent to know what their kids need. I'm not going to let him have food out of the bin, even though he really wants it, because I know that it's not good for him. So I think to myself, well, what's good for people these days? I'm thinking to myself, how can we set up the next generation of young people to win? Because the pictures and the stories that I tell you, they're my kids, but everyone is someone's kid. And I look at young people today and I think, how are we, what are we doing to raise the next generation of young people? These people will be doctors, they will be lawyers, they will run the country. When I'm old, they're going to be in charge. So I figure we really need to care about this. And if this is something that you don't care about, and this is something that you think you can worry about when you get older, I'm telling you, it's not true. We got to think about young people today. You got to think about the kind of person that you want to become and then live your life in such a way that it reflects those priorities and values. And if you do that, you start to set an example for young people. Listen to me tonight. Don't be the kind of people that want to have the testimony when you're older. Well, I went way off the rails and then I came back to God. All right. I've heard that story a million times. It's my story. Be the generation that says we sought after God. We were passionate about Him. We were hungry for Him. And then my kids get to look to you. They don't have to hear it from their old man and say, you know what? You know, dad tells us that. They look at the teenagers we have at Activate Church and they say, man, these people are awesome. They look at the young adults that we have that are sitting in this room tonight. And you guys become examples to my kids and the, and the unbelievable amount of kids that are flourishing at our church. Did you know that our church in, in the kids ministry has grown by over 200% in the last 12 months? We have, like some of you don't come to the morning service, but I'm telling you right now, we have kids coming out of our ears. We need to build new spaces for them because we are overflowing in our kids ministry areas. Do you know what I want? I want a bunch of young adults and teenagers that love God and are passionate about Him and are thinking about the generations that come behind them because 
because guess what? And this might sound crazy to you. I know they're my kids, but I feel like when you become a Christian, the weight and responsibility of raising the next generation, it falls on you too. It falls on you too. It's something that you need to think about. So this, what I'm talking about tonight, I really do think that this is important to you too. And Moses, Moses is expounding the law. He's, he's speaking to these people. And it's not even like I'm speaking to you tonight. Moses is speaking to people that are his family, like literally his family. And we might say, oh, we're spiritual brothers and sisters. And, you know, we might say that stuff, right? But this is actually Moses's family. They're sisters and mothers and uncles and cousins. And I mean, they're actual family. And Moses is asking the same question. How can we set this next generation of young people up to win? And so he reads the scriptures that, uh, and, or, or begins to expound the law. And he begins to teach these young people what I just taught you because life is a reflection of your priorities. And essentially, Moses is expounding the law and saying to all the people that are listening, I don't know what you think is important, but you need to pay attention to what I'm telling you. I don't know what you think your priorities are today, but you need to listen to the words that I'm teaching you. These things need to become your priorities because when they become your priorities, it'll set the course and charter the course for your life. So he begins to speak to them. I think that dads need to sometimes, we, we got to look at the Word and get our priorities from what the Word of God teaches us to do. There are so many things that dads can think are important, but I feel like encapsulated in that short scripture that we read tonight is a message that every father, every dad needs to hear, needs to reconcile and needs to begin to apply to his own life because the truth is, is that fathers have an amazing level of influence over your life. So I began to look into this and researched a couple of things. So I looked at the influence of fathers and here is the first one right now. Did you know that 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes? That's actually five times the average. Did you know that 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes? That is 32 times the average. Did you know that 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes? That's 20 times the average. And did you know that 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes? That's nine times the average. Fathers have an incredible influence on their children. They have an incredible influence on their families. But I'll tell you right now, uh, this is just the cons. There are pros. This is just the negatives. The influence of a father on his family can be outrageously positive. For, for example, children with fathers that are involved are 40% less likely to repeat a grade in school. Children with fathers who are involved are 70% less likely to drop out of school. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to get A's in school. And finally, children with fathers who are involved are more likely to enjoy school and engage in extracurricular activities. My point is 
simply this. Fathers have a significant level of influence on the family unit. And as far as I'm concerned, you can do whatever you want in the state of Victoria with marriage. You can do whatever you want with it. But as far as I am concerned, I think a family works best when there is a father in the relationship who is involved, who is present, who loves his kids and leads his family. That's what I believe. And I think the statistics would say exactly what the Word of God says. It's so funny how they really add up all of the time. I think the kids are better off with a dad that's involved and they're highly influential. In fact, the reason I wanted to preach this to you tonight is the one thing that we all have in common, whether you know your father or not, is that we all have a dad. We all have a father somewhere. I think that fatherhood is under attack. And maybe it's under attack for, I mean, to be honest, the, the, the uh, current state of mental health for Australian men is outstanding to me and how, and, and, and how shocking the statistics are. In, in terms of when we, and I'm not even taking this message here, but in terms of, of men who struggle with depression and thoughts of suicide and all kinds of issues, it is absolutely shockingly astounding to me. But maybe it is as simple as this. Fathers just don't really know their responsibilities. I think if we had a generation of fathers who were absolutely committed to their spouses, who were absolutely committed to their family, we would be raising a different generation. But I think the truth is, is that sometimes dads just don't know what their primary responsibility is supposed to be. But there's good news. It doesn't have to be negative. There's good news. The good news is, is that every day is an opportunity for anyone to change the course of their life. If you wake up today and you decide that you don't like where you're headed in life, you have the opportunity to change. You have the opportunity to make a difference. And you know what's so amazing about tonight? Do you know what's so amazing about tonight? Do you know what's so amazing about the seat that you're sitting in, about the space that you're taking up right now? It's from this place right here tonight, you can go anywhere. You can do anything. You could decide tonight that you want to fly overseas. And if your bank account has the money, you can do it. You can go anywhere. You can do anything from this place. I mean, tonight, I got you for like an hour and a half. That's it. That's it. So I'm going to say some things that I think are really important because from this place, you're all going to go out from here and you can make any decision with your life that you want. Now, Moses understands the exact same thing. So when he has the children of Israel directly in front of him, he's saying some things and expounding the law because he knows that they could do anything a hundred years from that place and that time. They could be completely worshipping idols. They could be completely worshipping false gods. They could have let go of their relationship with Father God. And so as a response to that, he begins to speak to them about the things that are unbelievably important. And he, and he expounds it and he tells them. Did you know that Moses, he handed his mantle of leadership to a man called Joshua? And Joshua, at the very end of his reign, when he led Israel, he makes a very similar speech. 
It's funny how these speeches come at the end of their reign of leadership. It's like their last possible opportunity to communicate the most important messages. And listen to what Joshua says. He says, If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you'll serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, mm, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the, that, that I want to raise a generation of people who don't really care what everyone else does, but they make a decision and they say, you can do whatever you want. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You can make and, and you can change law and you can change legislation. And in the coming days, and I think about this next generation that's being raised up right now, because you will be contending with things that our parents never had to. And as things become tougher and as they become illegal and all kinds of problems begin to arise up in, 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 in politics and, and in legislation, right? You can make the decision to say, I don't really care. And me and my house, we're going to worship the Lord. Many people have done this over time. And I think of the great people of, of faith in history, men like Daniel, who said, I don't really care. I'm praying five times a day. And they said, oh, you can't do that. You know what? We need a generation of people that don't care about that and say, you know what? My first priority is to serve my father who is in heaven. So Joshua, he says this stuff and he tells them, hey, listen, you can do whatever you want. But as for me and my house, we're going to worship the Lord. All right, so a couple of chapters later, I'm serious. A couple of chapters later in the Bible, you flick over. You read the story about a young man named Gideon. And Gideon is threshing out wheat in a wine press because he's in fear of a group of people called the Midianites who have come to oppress Israel. So he is hiding from them and doing all of his chores and his work inside the house because he thinks if he goes outside, he's going to attract the wrong attention. The angel of the Lord shows up, totally freaks him out, would totally freak me out too. The angel of the Lord shows up. He says, oh, Gideon, mighty man of valor. And I love that. I love that he calls him a mighty man of valor. Here's the guy who's shaking in his boots. Do you know that when God sees you, he sees what you can become? He sees what he's going to do with you. And he calls you by that name. And he says, mighty man of valor. He says, I'm going to make a change. But this is what I want you to do before I call you out to begin to make some changes in Israel. I want you to go and I want you to tear down the false idols your father has set up. <sighs> that is astounding to me. Because the last thing that Joshua said is, hey, don't worship idols. You can, you can serve all the other gods. And the people, they responded and they said, we will never do that. Well, you just flick a couple of chapters over in your Bible. Guess what? You'll find that here they are entrenched in idol worship. Let go of their relationship with God. And I think it's a horrible thing, a sad thing. When the young person called Gideon has to go and school his father in what's appropriate. And you know what he said? He said, I'm afraid to do this. Do you know why he was afraid to mess with his father's idol? Because that idol was important. And it didn't just belong to his father. It belonged to his tribe. It belonged to his family. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute. Listen up. Lean into this point for a second. Did you notice that when the father made a spiritual decision, that the entire household fell in line? 
When the father decided, oh, we're going to worship Baal, that everyone else in that house fell into line. Hence Gideon's concern about breaking it down. But he does. He breaks it down and, he, and, and he, he destroys it and he builds an altar out of the broken stuff and he builds an altar to God. But my point to you is simply this. The whole family is worshipping the idol because dad is. Dads have an immense influence on the family unit. You know, as I said, this doesn't have to be bad. Did you know that the, that the opposite is true? Do you know that statistically... If the person in a family who becomes a Christian, if the person who gets saved in a family is the father, that there is the highest probability that the entire family will become Christian. Why? Because it's the father. There is something about dads. There is something about the influence and spiritual authority that dads have in a household that begins to set the course and the direction. And by the way, let me say this to you tonight. If you come from a house where there is a father who's not playing that role, I have seen many, many times young people like Gideon who have risen to the challenge because God has called them out. I think ultimately you have a father in heaven who's able to move sovereignly and make all things come to pass. So there's no need to be concerned or worried about that. Here's something John Maxwell said. He said, leadership is not a title. Do you know what I think a title, you know, if you, if, if you could become a father biologically. Your title is father. They fill out the form. Who's the father? There's a name that goes in there. That's the title that you get. Actually, you can become a dad and get influence. This is what John Maxwell says. He says, leadership is measured in influence. Dads have influence. Dads have influence. My point would be simply this, is that some of you are going to become dads someday, and some of you might be dads in here tonight, leverage the influence. If God has placed it upon dads to be able to have that kind of influence, it doesn't have to be negative. Make it positive. Do you know what the best gift is? Do you know what the best gift a dad can give is? The best gift a dad can give is to love and lead his family to Jesus. That's the best thing a dad can do, not not Xbox games, not cake or biscuits for breakfast. <laughs> the best gift a dad can give is to love and lead his family to Jesus. You know, my dad, he has certain behaviors, idiosyncrasies, things that I see in him that are reproduced in me. And people that know our family they will see me do something and they'll say, that was your dad right there. It just sort of came out in you. And believe it or not, I'm not trying to behave like my dad. It's just that I was raised in a house where my dad was always around and I saw things and it had an influence on me and it affected me. You know, my son, I think about that in the context of my relationship with my son. My son Judah is going to start to imbibe of the influence that I have in his life. We sit down sometimes together and we do uh, his reading. He, he's trying to learn how to read and he's doing a pretty good job, but I'll be honest, half the time he just makes up words. 
You know, he, he looks at the picture and he thinks he knows what the words are going to say, so he jumps ahead. And I say, come on then, man. Why don't, you just, why don't you just show dad where that word is on the page? He's fishing around. He knows it's not there. Because he, he knows he didn't read it. He, he just made it up. Kids don't know how to spell, right? But they know what words mean. My son, he doesn't know how to spell, but he knows what love means. And this is how he would spell love. He would spell love T-I-M-E. Because that's how he knows. Because I want to spend time with him. I think dads, dads have influence. What they need is relationship. And if you want relationship, you've got to spend time. You know, if I had a group of dads in this room right now, and we did this morning, I would say to them, dads, it's home over work. Your priority is home over work. I know work can seem really important, but the most precious thing that you have is all at home. So if you're doing work, like awesome. I'm so happy that dads work hard, but you do that for what's at home. That's gotta be the priority. Paul the Apostle, he says in 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not, believe, uh, does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I think, to be honest, there's a lot of dads that would love that verse because it gives them every reason imaginable to spend all their time at work thinking that that's their life verse. That's not the life verse that dads need. Yes, you've got to provide for your family, do you know what is the most important thing you should provide? Because if you think it's money, oh man, we got it all wrong. Kids don't need your money. If you're a dad, kids don't need money. That's not the most important and precious thing to them. But I think what happens is prominence, power, success becomes an idol in the eyes of many dads because they go, this is the most important thing and they're pursuing the wrong thing. And my challenge would be, to you guys, as you're growing up and as you think about starting families of your own, is don't make success, power, or prominence the most important thing in your life. It's not. There are more important things than that. I have seen people, pastors, leaders, sacrifice their families on the altar of success, and it's sad. It's so sad. Because success isn't the goal. And it's not the most important thing that dads have. Your job is not to bring home the bacon. Do you know what jo dad's job is? How about this? Cultivate an incredible prayer life and teach that to your children. Be the spiritual leader in your house and worship God and then teach that to your children how to do that. You know what's really important for dads? Being at ball games, being at mealtimes, being at home. I forgot this story. This just comes to me right now. We, we used to have church in Ringwood and there was a guy 
across from where our church was located and he ran a noodle cafe, Sino. If you're from back then, everyone knew Sino. You know, Sino, he used to work pretty hard. He worked so hard, he was there all day and all night. His kids would get dropped off and he was from overseas and I think had a tough upbringing. So he wanted to make sure that his, he could provide everything he needed for his family. So he worked very, very, very hard. And I went and saw Sino a little while after we had moved premises and I visited him and I said, hey, how are things going? And he said, I'll tell you what happened. He said, uh, my wife died. I said, Sino, I'm so sorry to hear that. He said, yep. He said, uh, I finally got to sell this business and he got a really great price for his business and he worked hard and he, he, got, he was wealthy after he sold his business. He worked so hard to build it and he got everything that he wanted and he lost one of the things that was most important to him. And I said, Sino, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to do what I should have done a long time ago. I'm going to be the father to my kids that they need. I'm going to take my kids right now. We're going to go on a holiday because I realized that I was sowing my life into something. This is his words. He said, I'm sowing my life into something that doesn't matter. And I bet Sino wishes that he could have had his time all over again to go back and not pursue that business so that he could be successful. He thought the best thing that he could do was to get his family wealthy, to look after their financial security. That wasn't the best or most important thing that Sino could do. The most important thing he could do would be to be there for his family. You know, my son, he had an eye operation and he came home and there was nothing I could do for him. And I didn't know what to do for him. He was in immense pain. And the only thing I could do was just to be present. I held him in my arms for hours while he did nothing but just basically hug me. That's all he did. And I didn't know what else to do. I couldn't help him. I just had to be there. I just had to be present. Dad's just sometimes got to be present in the home. Dad's just sometimes got to just be there. That's one of the most important things that a dad can do because provision doesn't mean money. Provision means leading and loving your family and bringing them into a relationship with Jesus. And if I feel like if dads don't get this, if they don't understand this, if they don't know, they just might spend their life pursuing the wrong goals instead of the things that they are supposed to do. I'll notice that Moses never said in his great discourse to the children of Israel, one of the most important things you must do, children of Israel, I'm speaking to all the dads right now, is to get rich because if you get rich, your family will be okay. You never saw that anywhere. You've never read that anywhere. It's because it doesn't say it. No, you know what Moses said? He said, one of the most important things that you can do is to lead and love your family. He said, the Lord, your God, He's one. Love Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your might. And if you can do that, oh, we might be able to set up the next generation to win. But if you set up false idols like success and wealth and prominence and, and, and all of that, well, we could get off track. But if you just keep loving God and your, leading your family, we could be okay. He says, you got to teach this diligently to your family. He says, when you sit in your house, you teach it. I know, know what it's like in your house, but in my house, most of the time people sit down to watch television, right? But you know, when we sit down at mealtimes, that's another time that we sit down. 
Instead of sitting down and just watching television and zoning out and having meaningless conversations, you could sit down with your dads and have a meaningful conversation and be home on time for dinner and make family time special and not just eat at different times or eat on the couch or eat while you're watching TV. You could do something about that. It could be a case tonight, I don't know, of, of the kids leading the parents again. I, I don't know. That's what it could be. But I'm saying you, you can affect this. You can change it. You could have conversations. When you sit down, you could break open the Word of God after mealtime and talk about what it means. I read a study the other day that said to me that kids don't know how to have discussions these days because their parents aren't leading them to have meaningful discussions, to think for themselves and break down information. Do you know that researchers, they did a study on 90 hours of television and they took this time from afternoons after school, the after school block, you know, of television, five nights a week and then Saturday morning and they measured 90 hours of television. And they realised that most kids will watch 21 ads, advertisements on television per hour. And those ads are designed specifically to influence young people. And I thought with, with 21 ads per hour, with 90 hours, how much influence is going into the minds and hearts of young people like kids and I think, do we really want that to be their influence? Whatever the television decides to sell to them or should it be the dads and the mums and the parents that say, we're gonna lead you to a place where you will love Jesus. We're gonna have meaningful discussions. When we sit, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna break open the Word of God. He said, when you walk by the way, I don't know when the last time was that I walked by the way. I don't even know what that means. But I tell you what, walking by the way today would mean probably taking a drive in the car. I said this to parents this morning. I said, you know what? Being in the car with your family is a great time to have a conversation because at 100 miles an hour, they're trapped. So they can't go anywhere. So they don't like the conversation. Too bad. They're wearing a seatbelt. And you can't jump out of a car at 100 miles an hour. So so my point is, is that you could use that time to do something meaningful with it. Hey, guess what? We all got the same amount of time. Some of us are just spending it differently. Think about how we spend our time. He says, when you rise and when you lie down, in the morning and at night. Do you pray in the morning? Do you pray at night? Don't wait till you have children before you start to cultivate that. Why don't you just learn it right now? And when you become a parent, it becomes your natural expression of who you are because you've always been that way, because you have always done that when you wake up and when you go to bed at night. And I'll tell you some of this right now, some of you guys this, kids will do anything to avoid bedtime, anything. So my kids, we have some of the deepest, most spiritual conversations at night before they go to bed. You know why? They don't wanna to go to bed. And they know something about their dad if they ask me about anything else, I will shut that conversation down. But they'll say, Dad, can I talk to you about God? I'm like, all right. Because they know I'm going to say yes. Do you know why I say yes? Because it's more important to me as a dad to speak to them about these spiritual things than it is to let them go to bed and have those questions unanswered. 
my, my kids, they, they, they love asking questions. They ask so many questions, you know. And if I have the opportunity, I'm going to answer them. He says, write it on the back of your hand or write it on your hand and, and write the Word of God. Put it in your house. In other words, God shouldn't be hidden. You know, we have this thing about prayer, about uh, faith, that it should be private. Really? I've never read that anywhere in Scripture. I mean, if you want to be politically correct, but I don't, I don't think God has ever been politically correct. To be honest, I don't think He really cares about that because He knows what hangs in the balance. He couldn't, he couldn't care less about what's politically correct. I think faith is public. I think my Christianity is public. I think that it should be in my house. And I don't think that all of my prayer time should be locked away in some little closet somewhere where my kids don't get to see what it looks like. And then I emerge the spiritual father having spent 20 minutes with the Lord. And they don't even know what that means or what it looks like. Do you know what my kids do? I'll, I'll be in there and I'll be praying and they come in. And when I see them at the door, do you know what I could do? I could say, kids, you're spiritual father needs this time alone with the Lord. But I'm not an idiot, so I don't say that. I, I, I actually say, what do you, hey, come, 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 come. Come sit on dad's lap. And I hold him and I keep praying. And do you know why I do that? Because I want them to hear what I'm saying. I want them to know what it looks like to have a prayer life. And since I've got them on my lap, I say, I'm just gonna pray for you right now. So I'll put my hands on them and I'll pray for my kids. I'll pray for them because I want them to know what it looks like to have a relationship with God and it shouldn't be hidden. It should be public. It should be out there. I think dads need to know what being a dad is all about. I think dads need to realize that it's not about your success in the workplace or what your colleagues think about you. It's about your family. It's the most precious, most precious thing that you have the most precious thing that you have. I think dads need to realize this, that they shouldn't sacrifice their family on the altar to success or prominence or power because it's a bad trade. And it's one that people will regret in eternity. Every dad, I think, if he was to chase success his whole life and then knock on the doors of heaven, secretly he would know that he didn't invest his time in the right space. They might have provided financially, but spiritually they just didn't do what they were supposed to do. A dad's best gift is to lead and love his family to Jesus. That's the best thing a dad could do. And so I say this here tonight. I know right now some of you have had dads that probably haven't done this. And you know what? That's okay. Because God's got you. You know what? You're here. You're here. The very fact that you're here and you're sitting in these seats tonight tells me that God has a plan for your life. And absent father or not, it doesn't matter. Whether they did this or not, it doesn't matter. You're here right now, listening to the Word of God being expounded to you. You're hearing it. So God obviously has a plan for you because I don't think that anybody sits in these seats by accident. I think that even if you're here as a guest tonight, you are here because God wanted you to be here. He's sovereign God. He's the most incredible God. And whether you don't have a father that, you know, maybe didn't do all these things, the truth is you have a spiritual father in heaven who loved you so much that he would sacrifice his own son so that you could be in a relationship with him. Oh my 
God that is amazing. Amazing. Why don't we stand together tonight? We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.